The first reading is from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 17, found on page 36 of the Church Bibles. Page 36, Genesis 37, starting at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I shall send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. The second reading is Genesis chapter 37, starting at verse 18, and that's on page 37 of the Bible. Genesis 37, starting at verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. 
But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colours and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Good morning. Do keep that passage open. My name is Andy. I'm on the staff team here. There is a a handout on the back of the service sheet to let you know where uh, we're going. Let me pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are a faithful God, an unchanging God who speaks to us. Please help us to listen to you now. Amen. Such a coat of many colours. How he loved his coat of many colours. It was red and yellow and green and brown and blue. Joseph's brothers weren't too pleased with what they saw. We have never liked him all that much before. And now this coat has got our goat. We feel life is unfair. And when Joseph graced the scene, his brothers turned a shade of green. His astounding clothing took the biscuit, quite the smoothest person in the district. I look handsome, I look smart, I am a walking work of art. Such a dazzling coat of many colours, how I love my coat of many colours. Well, apologies if you have no, uh, no idea what I've just been uh, on about. You'd be uh, grateful that I didn't sing it. 
uh, those lyrics from Joseph and his technicolor, uh, amazing technicolor uh, dream coat. Uh, millions have now seen the musical and have loved it. It's full of intrigue, uh, betrayal, and an inspiring ending. But then we ask, what's it all about? Why is this story in the Bible? Well, the narrator in the musical has a stab and tells us it's this. It's the story of a boy whose dream came true and he could be you. Uh, Later on in the musical, the Joseph character himself says this. Anyone from anywhere can make it if they get a lucky break. That's an inspiring message. Uh, Follow your dreams like Joseph. Any dream will do. That's, if you like, the school assembly version of this story. But is that the message of the Joseph story that the author wants to give us? Um, In short, no. It's a part of a much bigger story, uh, one that tells us the dealings of God with humanity, showing us that God is at work. God is at work in all circumstances to achieve his glorious purposes. Perhaps we struggle to believe that sometimes. Perhaps we can all pinpoint times in our lives and situations where it's felt like God is distant or unconcerned about our lives. Maybe that's how some of us feel about God now. On a global scale, with all the evil and suffering going on around us, but also personally, in our own lives. Not getting the grades, job insecurity, family strife, health issues and death. Well, over the next uh, few weeks up until the end of half term, we're going to look at this Joseph story and we are starting in chapter 37 where God's name isn't even mentioned. I wonder if you noticed that. Now, God seems distant in this chapter and in Joseph's life. And yet many years later, Joseph could say this to his brothers in Genesis 50, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So as we walk through this familiar story, my prayer is that it will help us trust God that he is always at work for his people, even when we can't see what he's doing. And we're going to look at four ways that God is at work uh, through this chapter to set up the rest of the story. We're scratching the surface today. And the first one is this, that God is at work through promises. God is at work through promises. Now, the whole of Genesis is about God's promises to humanity. If you like, we've dived into season four of the Genesis box set. Um, So it's helpful to have a little recap of season one to three. So season one... Um, opened in Genesis chapter 1 with God's creation of the world, a perfect world, where God's people live in perfect harmony with him, with God's promise uh, to bless the world. But once people chose to go their own way, instead of obeying God, things unraveled very quickly, and death now reigns. But season 2 opened in chapter 12 with hope, God has started his plan of redemption, choosing a people who would be, um, a, have a special relationship with him and bring blessing to the world. It started with one man, Abraham, and God made him promises in chapter 12. I promised him land 
promised him people, seed, that would be a great nation. And he promised blessing. Now, progress was slow because Abraham only had one son. But Isaac, in Genesis season three, uh, the pace picked up. He had twins, Esau and Jacob, and God chose to develop his special uh, family through Jacob's sons. And amazingly, Jacob uh, fathered 12 sons by four different women who will become on, uh, to become the tribes of Israel. And one of them, who you can see there in his amazing coat, is Joseph. And so God has been at work in Genesis all the way through, acting on his promises to bless. And so season four of Genesis opens in chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. That phrase marking out a new phase in God's plan uh, to bring blessing to the world. And so fundamentally, as an aside, this is not really the Joseph story. It's the Jacob story, or the Jacob, Joseph, and Judah story, as we'll come to see in the weeks ahead. Well, it may be a new phase, but humanity is just as messy as it was from Genesis 3. We're introduced to uh, Jacob and his family in verse 2. Get a load of this, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhar and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colours. Well, here's Jacob breaking the the golden rule of parenting, don't have favourites. I'm a middle child, so uh, it's common for me to think uh, that both of my brothers are the favourite child. But here, it's no secret, especially when Joseph wears that famous robe. Uh, Joseph's brothers definitely weren't too pleased with what they saw. In fact, verse 4 When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. We might feel sorry for the brothers at this point, but throughout this chapter and the whole of Genesis, they show themselves to be an extremely brutish and self-serving bunch. The eldest, Reuben, slept with his father's wife. Uh, Simeon and Levi killed all the males in a, a city as revenge for their sister being assaulted. And then there's Judah, the ringleader in the plot to kill Joseph. It's a family worthy of EastEnders, basically, isn't it? Yet through this messy family, God is still at work through his promises. And that is where Joseph and his dreams come in. Throughout the Bible, God uh, communicated through dreams. So we think of uh, Jacob's dream in chapter 28 of the ladder, or or Daniel in the Bible later on, or Joseph in the Christmas story. Uh, God doesn't need to communicate like that uh, anymore. He doesn't communicate through dreams because we have the full revelation of God in Jesus and his word, the Bible, to us. But before then, in Genesis, as God gives these dreams to Joseph... The agenda is being set. God is setting out his promises. Verse 5. 
Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Joseph's first dream then, the, uh, his sheaf stood upright and all the others bowed down to his. They, they totally get what that meant. And then in the second dream, verse 9, that gets underlined and extended even further. As the sun, the moon and the stars bowing down to Joseph. God is saying that Joseph's family is going to bow down to him. And the dreams coming in pairs suggest that it definitely will happen, a certainty in their fulfillment. Well, Joseph's brothers are grown men. They're not too impressed by that they'll bow down to teenage golden child Joseph. But after Jacob, um, but Jacob, after getting over this initial shock, models to us the right response to God's promises. Verse 11, he kept the saying in mind. Jacob pondered what he'd heard, perhaps even recognised God had spoken like he did to him, and so took it seriously. Uh, We'll see uh, through the story how on the surface these, these promises look very unlikely, and yet we know how the story ends. As did the first readers of Genesis. They're not reading this going, what what happened next? What happened next? They know they were fulfilled. Joseph does end up being bowed down to in Egypt. And so these chapters, we're seeing how God works out his promises, his track records. This is his CV or his personal statement of promise keeping. And like the first readers, we can look back at God's fulfillment of these promises in the past and trust him for the future. Now that is a theme we'll we'll keep coming back to, but but for now we have more of God's track record to go on throughout the Bible. That's supremely his promise in sending a rescuer in Jesus. And so we can look forward to the new creation, that promise to come in the future with confidence. Because of God is a faithful God even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it. God is at work through promises. Secondly, God is at work through providence. Now, providence refers to God's good government of our lives. Now, we are not the victims of luck or fate, but rather God has mapped out our path uh, from before time began. And he's active in the circumstances, surprises, and even choices in our lives. Even when he seems distant. Now one uh, review of the Joseph's musical on the parenting website reads, It's really great, it barely mentions God. And I guess, as we said, we can think of that uh, when we read this chapter. God's name doesn't appear at all. And yet, Psalm 105 It picks up on the story of Joseph and says this in verse 17 about God. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So rather than going AWOL, 
God is present throughout the whole story and getting Joseph to where he wants him to be. He'd been present there, giving Joseph the dreams, and now he was present in the provision of a stranger to help him in the search for his brothers. So in verse 12, uh, Jacob sends Joseph to check up on his brothers, perhaps because he knows they're not quite the most trustworthy bunch. But Joseph can't find them. And we pick up the story in verse 15. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotham. From a secular non-Christian worldview, that just seems like a very happy chance, doesn't it? A man just happens to be there who overheard the brothers say where they were going. I guess we can say that if he hadn't been there and taken the initiative, Joseph could have just wandered around aimlessly for a while and given up, gone back home and wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. But this is no chance encounter God is at work. He is setting the stage for his promises to be fulfilled. And then when Joseph's brothers throw him into a pit in verse 24, the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Sounds like there were water in the other pits, but not this one. So Joseph didn't drown. He stayed alive. And then with incredibly good timing, slave traders pass by and the plan changes. And yet, through it all, God is sending a man ahead of them. He's getting Joseph and his people to where he wants them to be in Egypt. He is at work. He is sovereignly ordaining all things to achieve his plan. Now, to anyone looking in on this chapter, on the circumstances Joseph goes through on the ground, well, God doesn't appear to be involved. That's why Andrew Lloyd Webber can write a musical about his life and miss the point of what's going on. And I guess in a similar way, it's why our non-Christian friends can look at at us and see an obvious sign that God is alive and for us. Like them, we we struggle to get up in the morning. We get colds and cancers. We grow old and we die. Yet as we see through the whole Joseph story... God is at work through all things. That is what we are to hold on to for our own lives. God is at work in the ups and downs of life to bless the world and his people. And that includes, thirdly, working through sin. Now, Genesis from chapter 3 onwards describes our world. It's marred by sin right through to today. And there's plenty of sin on display in this chapter, isn't there? The story continues, verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Joseph becomes the Bible's first fashion victim, as it were, as the robe is stripped from him and he ends up 
in a pit. That's actually followed by these astounding actions of the brothers in verse 25. Have you see that? Then they sat down to eat. How callous. They've just plotted to murder their very own brother and chucked him in a pit. And in the next breath, they're munching on the sandwiches, blocking out the brother's screams for help. That is evil. And I guess us too, we come face to face, don't we, with the ugliness of sin in our world today. It's brutality. And we despair. How often do we feel it's out of control? Where is God in all this? But the presence of sin, even in horrific ways, doesn't mean God is not there. He's not surprised by the actions of these brothers and kind of has to adjust his plans. God is at work through all things. He's still at work, even through sin. He has his own script written before the beginning of time that he's working to perfectly. Now, please don't misunderstand. God is not to blame for sin, nor does he approve of it. And each individual act of sin is still expressing a rejection of God and his rule. And God still holds people accountable for their sin. Yet in the light of Genesis chapter 50, that verse that Joseph said at the start, God was at work using the evil using the hatred and the murderous intent of the brothers to accomplish his ultimate plan, the saving of lives, including Joseph's own undeserving brothers. I guess we can see a little bit of this in in the war in Ukraine. Without doubt, an evil action that has had disastrous effects. Many killed and others fleeing the country. And yet there are stories of God using it for good. I've heard of baptisms up and down the country for Ukrainians who have come to faith as refugees in this country. I read recently of a a Ukrainian refugee in Dorset running an evangelistic course at a church in Ukrainian with 70 coming along for one of the events. God really is God and he is really at work His sovereignty and even his blessing can be found in the midst of the most heinous crimes and the most disastrous circumstances. That's what the Joseph story teaches us. And we see that supremely in the death of Jesus. Some 2,000 years ago, uh, God sent his son into the world and people knew this was the son, the heir. And yet in Mark chapter 12, they utter the same words as Joseph's brothers. Come, let us kill him. Though wicked men killed him of their own free choice, it was what God determined beforehand should happen. Uh, Jesus too could say to the people of his day, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. As with Joseph, so with Jesus. That should give us great humility before God. Perhaps you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You're looking into the Christian faith. Well, we can see that nothing will stop God's purposes. Not even people's rejection of him. We see that in the Bible, see that in the book of Acts as the gospel spreads. We see that all through church history. 
Where God's man and God's people are attacked, the gospel spreads. That Jesus is Lord, he is sovereign, he's in charge, and nothing can stop that. And one day, every knee will bow before him. And those on, not on his side are indeed fighting a losing battle. What great humility that we should have before this God, who uses all things, even sin, for his glorious purposes. Well, for those of us already in trusting in Jesus, that also gives us great courage. Uh, knowing that in his sovereignty, God takes the, the deepest wickedness of humanity and uses it to advance his glorious uh, promises, well, that will keep us speaking openly about Jesus, uh, living for him, even when it's costly in our situation, because God is at work through all things, even through sin. And that brings us on to our final point this morning. God is at work through suffering. God's at work through suffering. In a world of sin, people suffer. We know that from the news and from our own experience. At the end of chapter 37, it's Jacob suffering the apparent loss of his son. The brothers conceal their actions by dipping Joseph's coat in goat's blood and letting Jacob come to his own conclusions. Uh, Verse 34. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Jacob suffering very deeply here. And the chapter ends with Joseph being people trafficked. To be thrown in a pit, uh, to listen to your brother's conversation about killing you, uh, to be pulled out of a pit expecting death, and then carted off to who knows where. What a traumatic experience for Joseph. And yet the scripture tells us in Romans 8.28 in the New Testament... And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph was definitely called according to God's purpose. And then today, when people suffer, what's the question? Well, it's where is God? The assumption that he's absent, uh, that he's not there, he's certainly not working through it. But as we see the Joseph story and know how it ends, we see God's caring, providential hand is always at work for his people, even in the midst of severe suffering. On Friday, the the Thanksgiving service was held for Jeremy Marshall, who was diagnosed 10 years ago with a rare form of cancer. And he spent his last year speaking at church events up and down the country about his trust in the Lord Jesus and his hope in the face of death. And he he wrote a book about it, Hope in the Face of the Big Sea, Hope uh, Hope in the Face of Death. And many, many people have heard the gospel through his testimony. A powerful example of God working through the awful pain and suffering of life for his good purposes of saving lives. Now, we live in a world that is just as messy and sin-ravaged as Joseph's, 
But what an encouragement to see that God doesn't retreat when life gets messy. Instead, he continues to work for the good of his people. Through his promises and providence, even through sin and suffering. That's an enormous encouragement to those of us who are suffering greatly or when we suffer in the future. When a thousand questions run through our heads with no answers in sight. And the answers may not come until we get home to heaven. But one day we will see the purpose of it all. And rejoice in the wisdom of God. And understanding at last when we thought God was most absent. He was most near to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we praise you that you are at work in all things, that nothing surprises you through your promises, through your sovereignly ordaining things in everyday life, even through sin and suffering. Please help us to walk by faith and not by sight and trusting you uh, that you will achieve your glorious promises. Amen.